Okay, let's prepare ourselves this evening in our usual fashion. We'll have a few moments of silent prayer, opportunity to rebound if necessary. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You that You are a God of righteousness and justice, perfect in every single way, and You change not. We can always depend upon You, perfect in Your faithfulness, extending grace to us. And because of Your Word and who You are and what You have revealed to us, we can have stability in a world that has gone crazy. We thank You for Your Word. Pray that You'll help us to really focus on it this evening. For we pray it in Christ's name. Amen. Two things I want to talk about before we get started on our Scriptures tonight. One is, I was listening to KHCB on the way here. And I think KHCB is a good station. I mean, I listen to it. It has good music sometimes. And sometimes it has good speakers on it. But they also are a bit confusing, especially when it comes to just giving the gospel. On the way here, they had a, sometimes they have these little role plays. It's like old-time radio where two guys are talking, and one guy is telling the other one that um, something about, well, he doesn't know where he's going to be living here, but he knows in eternity he's going to be living in heaven. The other guy says, well, how do you know about that? He says, because I'm trusting Christ as my Savior, I'm not depending on my, upon my works, but His works. And the Bible says that guarantees me a place in heaven. I said, all right, if they would just stop there. But then the lady comes on and, and says, um, if you would like to have uh, Jesus have control of your life, you need to give us a call. Now, that was given immediately after this, which is uh, uh, clearly salvific. They were talking about eternal salvation, which would make one think, that part of salvation is to have Christ control your life. And the two are not the same. And yet people get confused and they think, okay, well, they're talking about heaven. They're talking about eternal life. Evidently, I have to ask God into my heart or I have to ask, find some way for God to control my life. And so I'm just telling you that because uh, the reason I'm telling you this and the next thing I'm going to tell you about is because no one can afford to coast when it comes to taking in the Word of God. You've heard me say that over and over. I was at a pastor's meeting um, a week or two ago, and one of the pastors uh, gave it, uh, this as an example, and I thought it was really great. You know, uh, picture images with words really stick. And a believer who uh, thinks that uh, he can coast and still be okay... Uh, is, is absolutely fooling himself. Think of it as you on a bicycle going up a hill. You're, getting, you're trying to get to the top to spiritual maturity and hold the high ground. And you have a bicycle and it, hadn't, it doesn't have any brakes. And you're, and you're going uphill. What happens when you quit pedaling? Huh? <laughs> Start going downhill. And that's what this is like. This is... I think it was uh, two Sundays ago when I was teaching that the rate of learning doctrine must continue to 
exceed the rate of forgetting doctrine. Y'all remember that? And that had, to, that had to do with the same thing. And that is you have to keep that spiritual momentum moving forward because if you don't, then you start that slippery slide down and before long uh, you are in a world of trouble. It comes on you gradually, usually, but it still is uh, impending at every, every moment, every spot along the way. Now, so I'm telling you, if you were listening to this Christian radio and you heard that and you didn't have doctrine, especially soteriology, really grounded in your soul, you, should, you could start getting confused. But what about those who have never heard the gospel and never really had, they don't have any doctrine in their soul? They're going to stay confused. They don't know what the gospel really is about. The other thing I saw was on TV. It was on Channel 2. The guy's name is Brian. What's his last name? Jenny? No. Does anybody see number two? Uh, Byron Williams. That's it. Brian Williams. And he was talking about making a, a case about how today, I guess this has just gotten to this point to where there are as many women graduating from universities as there are men. And he said that um, maybe in the years to come, uh, they will even surpass men in graduating from universities. And he, he said it as if it's a goal, as if it's a good thing. And then he said the only thing is women are still not getting equal pay in the workforce, that they're getting about 80% of what men get. And he, that's about all he said. He maybe a few more comments, and then he pressed on. And I was thinking about that. It's always the context that they present things in, how they say it, and what they don't say is that misleads people. Um, I'm for women getting whatever they deserve in pay, in, uh, in equal pay for equal work. I'm, I'm totally behind that. But what he was presenting was really, uh, even though he mentioned that, the idea behind it was let's get behind women and try to have more of them graduate from universities because when they do, they're going to even surpass men. Always, he's always competing the men against the women, presenting as the women as being oppressed and uh, we need to be on their side, which there should be no side, and always that we need more women in the workforce. In other words, if the, the idea also is if they have more graduates, there are going to be more jobs for women and better jobs for women. And that, that seems to be a good thing, and in some senses it is. some sense it is. There's a lot of single women out there that should be able to have advantages that men do, go to universities, get the best job they can. But what is hidden beneath all of this, the thing that was not touched upon, is the price that is paid for that to take place. What the, the, the statistics that they will not be giving in conjunction with all this that they have been that they presented there was how many gangs have taken over since women left the house and started going to the workplace uh, gangs it's not so, we're in a small town in Brenham it's not so much that way here <coughs> excuse me but in a lot of areas a lot of cities it is a huge problem and the reason is because young people don't go home to anybody there the husband and wife are both working. And so they're going to gravitate to anybody that's going to pay attention to them, anybody that makes them feel like they have any value. 
I can remember when I was a young person in elementary school, even in high school. I can't remember a time coming home when uh, my mom went at home. I think most people were that way. Maybe not all of them. Maybe I was just one of the fortunate ones. But that made a big difference. Huge difference. Because even I can remember when I was in junior high school, uh, I would come home and there'd be some snack to eat. And, well, how'd your day go? And we'd talk about the day. Do you think that's happening that often these days? And yet it's completely contrary to what he was presenting on the TV as to what we really should be aspiring to is let's get more women in, uh, graduated from more universities so they can have more jobs and better jobs. And like I said, on the surface, it doesn't seem like there's anything wrong with that. In a lot of cases, there's not. But there are many women today that are frustrated and embittered because they bought this life. And they have they, they spent their whole life in a career and they don't have any children. They don't, have, they don't know what it's like to um, have a family of their own. And it's just, it's just a shame. Everything is so upside down today. We have women uh, going into combat positions in the military overseas, leaving their children behind, and we have a nation that applauds that. Something is drastically wrong there. I'm not trying to uh, be a male chauvinist or be a dinosaur. But one thing about the Word of God never changes and it's never wrong. And there's a lot of women that are working that don't want to work. They have no, they have no alternative because in a lot of cases, uh, the men uh, have to work in order to provide for the family. The women have to work just to pay the taxes. Everything is upside down and scrambled. But the, again, the reason I'm telling you this is because these things are very subtle. But they do bend the minds into liberal thinking and anti-Christian values. And we have to be ever alert. And when you get away from the source of truth and you're not getting that nourishment every day, every day, you keep getting that momentum going forward, it's easy to fall prey to these subtleties that can get you off track. Okay, let's open our Bibles to 1 Thessalonians. Chapter 2. And we are in well, let's just start with verse 9. Verse 9 ends this section from about verse 5 to verse 9, and it's talking about how Paul and his associates presented the gospel and how they were able to help the Thessalonian believers not only by what they said, but also by what they did. And verse 9 says, For you recall, brethren, our labor and hardship, how working night and day so as not to be a burden to any of you, we proclaim to you the gospel of God, 
Now, this is winding up an, uh, a part of the importance of supporting those who are communicating the Word. And if you'll remember, I said that any pastor, anyone that is a communicator of God's Word that is in it for the money is in it for the wrong reason. None of us that are communicating God, the Word of God is going to be worth, worth our salt if we're in it for the money. But that doesn't mean that, that the communicators of God's Word uh, shouldn't be paid. And, that, and We've even went up through the Scriptures and said not only should they be paid, they should be paid well. But there was something that I didn't read you that gives uh, an idea about this uh, issue that I'm talking about. And I got this from J. Vernon McGee through the Bible. I uh, uh, got this off the uh, Libronic software I have. And it will explain how you can work and not feel slighted when, you, when you're uh, working for the Lord. In other words, you're not doing it for the money. This is what he said. In New England, there were two girls who worked together in the cotton mills. One of them quit working, and they didn't see each other for several years. They met on the street one day, and the girl from the mill said, What are you doing now? Are you still working? And the other one replied, No, I'm not working. I'm married. <laughs> Some of you ladies probably are already grinning at this. She said, No, I'm not working. I'm married. I not only have a husband, but I have a little boy. I get up three times in the morning to feed the baby. Then I get up early to fix breakfast and make lunch for my husband. I take care of the baby through the day, and then I prepare dinner for my husband. And the first girl explained, I remember when you worked at the mill how you used to watch the clock. When that 5 o'clock whistle blew, you were out of there like a flash. Then the young mother explained, Oh, I don't watch the clock anymore. I'm working longer hours, but it really isn't work. The girl was motivated by love, and it didn't seem like work anymore. You see, it's the motivation, it's the purpose behind it. And I'm sure your mothers can really relate to that. I think it was a year or so ago, I don't remember how long ago it was, that on Mother's Day I had a PowerPoint and showed what mothers would be worth if they were getting paid for the hours they worked and the work they accomplished. It was well over $100,000 a year. And yet I doubt that any of the mothers feel slighted because they're not getting the pay, uh, the remuneration that may uh, be due them because they're getting paid in a way that they're being rewarded in a way that is much greater than money could ever buy. And when you're rearing children, especially if you're rearing them the way they should be reared, in respectfulness to authority and teaching them manners and training them the way they should they should behave, then they're going to be a delight to you. And you're going to be rewarded for the rest of your life, maybe even in heaven if you continue to grow in grace and knowledge. So I wanted to throw that in because I left that out in that particular part of Scripture. We're going to begin tonight in verse... Uh, well, let's read uh, verse 10 and 11, but we're going to start in, at verse 12. For you, for you are witnesses, and so is God, how devoutly and uprightly and blamelessly we have we behave towards you believers, just as you know how uh, we were 
exhorting and encouraging and imploring each of you as a father would his own children, so that you may walk in a manner worthy of the God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. And we've, we've exegeted these verses. We've gone into these. And one thing that we noted here was in verse 7, it talked about being a mother to them and nurturing them. And now in verse, what is it, 11, it's talking about being a father to them. And what, it, what this amounts to is that when you have a new convert, you have to be both mother and father to them. You just don't bring someone to the Lord, give them the gospel and say, Okay, you're going to heaven, you're on your own, see you in eternity. No, you, you need to nurture them. You have to be very uh, tolerant of them. Just like a baby, they're going to make a lot of mistakes and you have to just continue to show interest in them, give them the, the pure milk of the Word. Uh, that's what this is talking about. And I thought also, especially these fathers, fathers, uh, I think they have a special uh, place to where they can inform not only their sons, but their daughters also. Sometimes we think of fathers just have most of what they have to say is to their sons because they can tell their sons, now this is how uh, you, you handle a chainsaw. And this, is where, this is how you change the blades on a, on a riding lawnmower. And this is how you change the oil. And this is how you shoot. And, this is a, and you think that's the only thing they have to say, mainly to the, fa- to the sons. But see, I didn't have a son. I had a daughter. And I was telling my daughter things that I thought was important for her. My daughter is a city girl. And for the most part, she's been a city girl her whole life. And so I was couldn't show her how to drive a tractor because she didn't want to get by a big machine like that. And that's okay. But the things that I told her I think were still of value because, you see, I warned her about boys. And the reason I could do that was because I once was a boy. And I know how boys think. And I know how boys can play games and tricks and conspire. Uh, Boys are just, for the most part, nasty. They're nasty boys. And they can put on a facade. I used to go, see, back in the ancient days when you actually had a date, I would go to the girl's house, which this is what you did. And they would ask you into the house, and you would have to go in where their father was and their mother was. And their eyes are burning holes through you the whole time. I mean, they are really sizing you up. And uh, when I left, uh, you would think that I was Prince Charming. I mean, I could charm the horns off a billy goat. I could just, oh, isn't this boy nice? He's got good manners. He's so thoughtful. And look, he's opening the door for our daughter when he leaves and all. Yeah. That's, that's all good stuff, isn't it? If they knew what I was thinking, they would have had me tarred and feathered. I mean, the sap was running. And I couldn't wait to get that girl in the car and see if I could get a kiss. See? Well, I won't go any further than that, but you, you get the point. So fathers, when we see this about nurturing these new converts, uh, fathers have a job to inform both their, their sons and their daughters. And I would tell my daughter, look, if a guy says he loves you, don't believe it. 
He's got an ulterior motive. He may even think that He loves you, but He doesn't really love you. He lusts you. Be on guard. Well, there, went, there was a lot of things that a father can do in that way. Now, a mother can tell her, the, can teach the children things that a father can't. Um, and I don't even know what they are, but I know there are things. You know, uh, uh, needlepoint and, and uh, what's the yarn? Uh, knitting and, and uh, all of the girly stuff, the stuff I wouldn't even dare to uh, try to act as if I'm familiar with these things. But um, both parents have a part to play. And, but, and, and that's what I'm trying to show. In verse 7, we, say, we see the mother's part, more soft and more um, nurturing. And then verse 11, we have the father's part. And he has to impart information, always looking out for the needs of the young people. And I don't know if that's still being done this day, these days. I know in a lot of families, the father's not even at home. I mean, in a lot of families, when I say he's not at home, I mean he's gone. He doesn't live there. In a lot of other families, he lives there, but the children wouldn't know it because they hardly see him. He's gone by the time they wake up. By the time they, they go to bed, he's just then maybe dragging in. I mean, we have a sorry set of affairs today. But I'll just leave it at that because we'll go on to verse 12 now. Verse 12. And you can look at it up here if you'd like. We're going to look at something about walking here. Verse 12 so that you may walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into His own kingdom and glory. They lowered my screen. Can you all still see it okay? Okay. Okay, <clears throat> so this is concluding something. It says, so that you may walk. And we have a familiar word here, uh, peripateo, P-E-R-I-P-A-T-E-O. It's an infinitive. Remember, when you say, usually it's to walk, but sometimes, like this one, you have an infinitive that doesn't have to in front of it. To walk, to run, to play, whatever, those are all infinitives. It's present active infinitive, which, of course, you know, means that you have to produce the action. You're the one to do the walking, and it's the present tense that's an ongoing action. It's a compound word. Peri means about, and pateo means to walk. So it means to walk about. Remember, we went over this last time. I said that's what some of the Australians say. They do a walkabout. But here it's used figuratively to refer to one's behavior, the way one conducts his life. This word is used 95 times in the ESV and is also translated to act, to do, behave, practice, and lead the life. In other words, when it says that you may walk in a manner worthy of God, it means to live your life in a way that is worthy of God who calls us. Now, don't pay any attention to those dates. They're not right. So in a manner worthy of God, we have the Greek word here, axios, A-X-I-O-S. It's an adverb. How often during the day do we stop and ask ourselves if we were behaving in a way that is pleasing to God? I don't want to see any hands, but did you do that today? Did you ever think that? Did you think about God at all today besides thinking, oh yeah, God, I better go to Bible class. I'm talking about in the decisions you make and just in your thinking. This is what we're talking about. That is, if you're going to uh, walk, live in a manner worthy of God, then you have to uh, 
be thinking these type of things about how am I living a life pleasing to God. If believers are doing that, it's probably making a big difference in the way things are going. You see, it's so easy for us to get so wrapped up in the details, all the things that we have to do, got to accomplish this, this, and this, and this all day. People are, are going to be calling. People are going to need this. They're going to need that. And before you know it, the day's passed. You're about ready to go to bed, and you say, Oh, my. I haven't prayed all day today. And I'm not going to ask any of you if that's ever happened to you, because I don't need to. That's what life can do to us. Just squeeze God right out of it and forget about it. Remember, uh, when I was growing up, a lot of my days were like that. I went to church, but I wasn't getting taught anything. And I don't know when I quit praying this way, but for a long time, my sister and I would pray, Now lay me down to sleep. Y'all remember that prayer? Where did that come from? Now lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. Well, we really, I didn't need to really pray that. I was a believer. He's going to take me anyway, so I should have got on something else. But I, I didn't do that. Uh, no one told me. No one said, now look, you don't have to worry about your soul being taken to heaven if you die. God's got that covered. What you need to pray about is being better at the table. I remember, <laughs> maybe with my adverse to reading, I didn't even, I hated to read. When I was in elementary school, they had to have some books. And one of the first books that was shoved under my nose was about table etiquette. I remember the name of it. Elbows off the table. Now, this does not inspire a 10-year-old. And so I hated to read. And when I got to high school, uh, book reports. And I'm ashamed to say that I didn't read it. I, uh, I'd go to somebody that did. Hopefully she was good looking. I'd say, tell me what you read. And she would tell me. And I was, I'd get up. Sometimes I'd make B's. I didn't make too many A's, but I did make some B's. On a book report, I didn't even know the title of the book. Don't try that. I'm not advocating that. I'm just saying that we need to stay in tune with God. And it's easy to forget what life is about, isn't it? Because this day is not successful if you accomplish all that was on your day planner. That is not how you measure success. A successful day cannot be, well, let me put it this way, no day can be successful if you leave God out of it. The more you pray, the more you ask, the more that you praise, the more that you thank. All this, regardless of what happens, it's not about what happens. It's about how has your relationship with God been today? And a lot of people, if they were honest, they would just say, Oh, yeah, God. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, I better think about Him. You cannot walk. You cannot live in a manner worthy of God and leave Him out of it. There's at least six ways in which we are to walk worthy of God. Here's some of the Scriptures. The first one is Galatians chapter 5, verse 16. This, this is the first one. It says, walk by means of the Spirit. What does that mean? Walk by means of the Spirit. Y'all all know what that means, don't you? You can't walk worthily of God unless you are what? 
filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, this is so great because I recognize all the faces here. And I don't have to stop and demonstrate to you how we are to connect Ephesians 5.18 1 John 1, 1.9. I mean, we are commanded to be filled with the Holy Spirit. How do you do that? Well, you go to 1 John 1, 1.9, you connect the two, and you say, oh, okay. When I acknowledge my sins to God, then I am forgiven. That means you're no longer in the state of carnality. You're in a state of spirituality. You're good to go. You all know that, so I don't even have to press on, right? Okay. Number two. We are to walk in the sphere of faith rest technique. 2 Corinthians 5, 7. If we're going to walk worthily of God, then we must use the faith rest technique day by day, moment by moment. Did anybody here use the faith rest technique today and don't want to see hands? I'm just asking you. Maybe, maybe you didn't need to use the faith rest technique today. Maybe there was no chance of you worrying about anything. <laughs> I can't say that with a straight face. <laughs> I mean, every day, every breath, there's, oh, worry, isn't it? There's things to be concerned about. You can't have a good day, you can't have a successful day if you're worried about something, can you? So we know about that one also, that the faith rests. Oh, we this you know it's easy to explain, but it's not that easy to do because we have an old sin nature, and our tendency is to uh, nibble our fingers down to the second knuckle about trivial things. Number three, we must walk in the sphere of love. Now, this one is not so easy. Ephesians chapter two, which is one of the results of being filled with the Holy Spirit. Let's turn to Ephesians two. See what's going on there. You're not far from it when you're in First Thessalonians. Ephesians five two. Verse, well, just verse one says, "Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love." Just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us, offering a sacrifice to God, a fragrant aroma. Now, how did Christ love us? Did he love us because we are just so special? Like the church lady used to say, aren't you special? I can't do what I know, but you know what I'm talking about. The church lady, are y'all there? What's the guy's name? Dana Carvey? Yeah. Nobody here remembers what was that Saturday Night Live? Y'all don't remember y'all don't remember when the guy would go in and say, Aren't we special? Okay, well, that one went over real big. We're not special. We are slug flying as far as trying to have any relationship with God with what we have to offer. That's why I detest, well, invite Christ into your heart. Yeah. 
Christ is really interested in coming into your tomb as if you have something to offer. Come into my tomb and get a whiff of my dead men's bones, rotting. It's not easy to do this. In fact, it's impossible apart from the filling of the Holy Spirit. You have to love people unconditionally. I drove all the way from Greenvine, Texas to Brazoria yesterday to get some teeth filled. Then I drove from Brazoria into Houston and I got there at 5 o'clock. And then I got to drive from there back home. Do you think there was a, 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 a time in that whole day that I might have needed to remember unconditional love? We were over in uh, Hokum, Hokum and the freeway, 59, right in that area there. And I was I, shocked to me. There's a lot of Muslims around there. You know, I can tell the women Muslims, they got the garb on. And some, there was a whole car full of, I guess they were Muslims. They looked like Arabs. And they were rolling down their window, hollering at me to roll my window down and trying to tell me something. And Terry was saying, I don't look at him, move on. You have time <laughs> and I, just as it would have it, my right-hand window on my door does not roll down. I mean, let me put it this way. It might roll down. Let me put it this way. It will roll down, it, you know, electric. But it might not go up. So I don't use it. As long as it's up, that's, I'm fine with me. And I was trying to tell them I can't roll this thing down so I can hear you. And they were getting all excited. People were honking, I looked up, and the, I had green light and all this, so whoosh, I go on my way. And these guys were giving me all kind of signs. And, you know, unconditional love. Uh, you know what? Every day can be like that. The problem is this planet is populated with people. That's the problem. We must walk in the sphere of love, which is one of the results of being filled with the Holy Spirit. We are commanded to do this. This is not a choice. This is an obligation. It is a command. Walk with unconditional love. And then number four. We are told to walk in wisdom. Colossians chapter 4, verse 5. Wisdom is the application of doctrine to experience. and means you must first of all know it, then apply it. You cannot walk worthily of God unless you are applying doctrine to experience. That's walking in wisdom. It's taking the doctrine that you know, the wisdom that God has imparted to you graciously, and applying it to your circumstances. That is walking in wisdom. How many people are doing that? Not many. You've got to know it before you can apply it. And finally, walk worthily of the vocation in which you were called. Yes. Did I skip five? Okay, thank you. This thing doesn't always like this. Walk in the light. Then we'll get to walk worthy of vocation. Walking in the light. 1 John 1, 7 refers to fellowship. And believers cannot walk worthily of God unless they walk in fellowship again. We need uh, the need for what we call rebound. 
Let me ask you a question. How long can you go not getting any doctrine, no spiritual nourishment into your soul and continue to walk in the light? In other words, if you don't continue to get that spiritual nourishment, charging your spiritual batteries, it's not going to be long to where you're walking in what? Darkness. Just think of a flashlight. You have a flashlight. It's energized. And maybe all of us here tonight, right now, hopefully, are energized. Our spiritual batteries are to the max. That's great. That means we're going to be alert. We're going to be able to stand firm for the faith. We're going to be able to resist temptation. We're going to be able to continue to have divine viewpoint. But how long is that going to last if we don't get a recharge? Eventually it's going to dim, dim, and then it goes out. What happens when you're walking through your barn in darkness? I would say your house, but most of the time your barn is not as neat as your house. I don't know. You don't have a barn, maybe your garage. You walk in there and the lights go out. You had your flashlight. It was working fine. But then it starts going so dim. You know, you try the trick. I'll turn it off. It'll charge up for a little bit. And you turn it on. You get about two seconds, maybe. And then it just goes dim. What's going to happen if you're trying to walk in darkness? You're going to stumble, aren't you? You'll stumble and fall. What does the medical profession say? Andrew, you, uh, I mean... Uh, you, you're in the have been. How many uh, casualties are from falls? Isn't that one of the highest things? If you work in, a, uh, they they say if you're in an emergency room, so many um, abrasions and cuts and ailments, especially for older people when they fall. It's not like a younger person; they fall, they just get up and don't even feel it. Falls are tr- can do tremendous harm. So you get that idea there that if you're walking in the light. And I didn't. I could digress here and go into light is a big deal in the Bible. And when we get to First Thessalonians chapter five, we're going to see a comparison about those who walk in the darkness and those who walk in the light. Those who are in the light, those who are in the darkness, and it has a lot to say about that. Now to number six, walking worldly of vocation in which you were called. This is Ephesians chapter four, verse one. We're in Ephesians. Are y'all still in Ephesians that we were in a while ago? Let's go to chapter 4, verse 1. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, entreat you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. That's very close to what was written in 1 Thessalonians, our text here, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 12, isn't it? Very close. Walk in a manner worthy. And now here we have... Walk in a manner worthy of uh, your calling, which you have been called. Now, if you look at a King James Version, it doesn't say walk... See, I was reading the New American Standard, and it says, um, walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. But the King James Version says... Walk worthy of the vocation in which you were called. 
Does everybody here know what vocation means? Just in case you don't, I have a definition here. It means one of four things, or a combination. First of all, it's a particular occupation, a business, or a profession, a calling. Number two, it's a strong impulse or inclination to follow a particular activity or career. Three, it's a divine call to God's service or to Christian life. And four, a function or station in life to which one is called by God. Probably that last one would fit our text the best. And I got that off the Internet, uh, dictionary.com, underbridge, random house, and so forth. It's pretty neat. What I do is when I'm looking for a definition, I have big, thick uh, dictionaries, but I can click, click, boop, there it is. So that's the definition there. Now, we all have businesses, occupations, or a profession, but our main vocation is being an ambassador for Christ. And we are to walk worthy of that vocation. And here's the thing. It doesn't matter what your vocation, you may be a student, you may be a homemaker, you may be a doctor, you may be a plumber, you may be a poli- oh, no, let's, I, I guess, I don't even say that word. I was going to say politician, but I, <laughs> uh, what, I, I guess I have to be gracious and, and include them. Even politicians, they all have a vocation. In other words, they're making a living. They're, they're leading their life. And it doesn't matter what they, that may be. It may be an, uh, a vocation or an occupation or profession that is highly uh, admired by society. Or you may be a street sweeper. You may be a garbage collector. And society kind of frowns on that. And that's because they're pompous and they're arrogant. It doesn't matter what your occupation may be. Maybe you're a brain surgeon. It pales in significance as to what your main vocation in life is, and that being an ambassador of the Most High. And you are that 24-7. We are ambassadors of Christ, and we should act like it. That's what this is talking about. Do you want God to show you off to the angels, or do you want Him to be ashamed of you, embarrassed? That's why we have the command, walk Worthy of what you were called. You were called to be this. To be ambassadors for Christ. I want you all to turn to this verse. Because this is a verse that's very powerful here. Colossians chapter 1 verse 9. Actually it's verse 9b. It's the second part of that verse. It has everything to do with what we're talking about here. You You were in Ephesians. Just go a couple of books to the back. And you got Colossians. Colossians chapter 1, verse 9b. Colossians chapter 1, verse 9. I started out with the second phrase here, we have not ceased. The verse says, For this reason also since the day we heard of it, then this is where we pick it up in our verse here, we have not ceased to pray for you and to ask you 
ask that you may be filled with the knowledge. Let's just stop there for a minute. Look at that. We have not ceased to pray. I'll get to that in a minute, but I'm just kind of exegeting this for right now. And to ask that you may be filled with knowledge. You see that V there means it's a verb. And it's the aorist passive subjunctive. Now, what does that mean? You all should be familiar with this by now. Aorist tense means it's, it's, it's really a nondescript uh, terminology, but it usually means it's something that happens in a point of time. It's in the passive voice, and the subjunctive mood means it's only a potential. That you may, See, you can even see it in the English. May be filled. Not that you are filled, but you may be filled. What's going to determine if you're filled with the Holy Spirit or not? Have you been praying to God? Have you been concerned about your behavior before God? Are you fulfilling your ambassadorship? All that has to do with this. If you are, then you're going to be filled with the Holy Spirit. But this isn't even talking about the Holy Spirit. This is talking about being filled with knowledge. The same volition that goes into being filled with the Holy Spirit is the same volition that's going to determine whether you're going to be filled with knowledge or not. And notice, it's not any active voice. Passive. We receive this knowledge. Rick Hughes says, show up, shut up, and learn something. I mean, it's not active. It's the Holy Spirit and God, Word, His, His Word, all this acting together where you're going to receive it, and the potential is dependent upon your volition. We're going to see that. That's what this whole verse is about in First Thessalonians and here also. We have not ceased to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will in all spiritual wisdom. When was the last time that you prayed for somebody that they may be filled with the knowledge of His will in spiritual wisdom? When was the last time you prayed that somebody would get some spiritual moxie to handle the issues of their day? I mean, we pray for them being sick. We pray for them to get that job. We pray for this, that, and the other thing. But what should be on top of the list is that they learn something about God's Word so that they will not only be survivors, but be overcomers in the devil's world. That they will be great examples of Christ, indeed ambassadors, and act like it. That's what we need to be praying for people. That's what they were praying. Not just once. Look, they didn't cease to pray for this because they knew how important it was. And to ask that you be filled with the knowledge of His will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding so that you will walk. There we have it right there. Now, this is an infinitive, and this is the aorist active. So when it says that you will walk, what I want you to notice is that's in what voice? The active voice. What does that mean? That depends on you. See, the, the being filled with knowledge is in the passive voice. That means... It doesn't depend on you. God wants you to learn. He's provided everything for it. And you receive the knowledge, subjunctive mood. What do you think that subjunctive mood means? Are you going to show up or not? Are you going to turn on that that, uh, CD or not? Are you going to get on the Internet and listen to a tape or not? That's the subjunctive mood, but still in passive voice. You just make yourself available. You tune in, and God's going to do the rest with regards to filling your soul with the knowledge of spiritual wisdom. However, walking 
where it says here, walking, uh, so that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, that's in the active voice. That's part for you to do. That is the application part. Write it down in your Bible right there. I want you to know what that, that is. Somehow in your Bible where it says that you may be filled, you, you need to recognize that that is the passive voice. You receive that in the subjunctive mood. APS, heirs passive subjunctive, means that it's a potential based on your volition. And then you have understand uh, with spiritual wisdom and understanding so that you will walk. Now it's in your court. Now you've got to do something. Now you can, after you learn it, it's up to you to apply it in a manner worthy of the Lord to please Him in all respects, bearing fruit. Look at that. That's a participle. Underline these in your Bible where it says fruit. Put an underline under there. And all you need to know there is it's active voice. That's your job. Your job is to walk in a manner worthy, producing or bearing fruit. That's active. Both of those are active. In fact, it says in every good work. What are we talking about good work? We're talking about divine good, aren't we? If you don't know the difference between divine good and human good, how are you going to produce it? You're going to go out there and do a lot of hustling, a lot of razzmatazz, thinking you're a, a spiritual giant, and all you're doing is producing a lot of human good. It's going to be born, burned at the judgment seat of Christ. You've got to get plugged into some knowledge even to get started with obeying this, producing good work in the sense that it is acceptable to God. That's divine good. You have to be filled with the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit that is generating this through you and increasing in the knowledge of God. Look at that. Increasing in the knowledge. And what do you have there? Another participle. And this is the present passive again. Notice, every time it's talking about the intake of the Word, getting knowledge is in what voice? Passive. We receive it. You know what that means? <laughs> doesn't depend on us. You don't have to be smart. You don't have to be a, a academic or anything else. Show up, shut up, and God is going to do the rest. Because spiritual knowledge does not depend on IQ. It doesn't depend on education. It depends on God being able to help you metabolize His Word in your soul. You are able to understand what I'm saying now. I'm talking about spiritual phenomena. And the reason that you're able to understand it is because you are a believer. You have a human spirit. You're filled with the Holy Spirit. And it communicates. It's understandable. But you could be an unbeliever here and be a, a genius. Maybe you're a molecular scientist. And you can impress everybody with your vocabulary and all your degrees and everything. But if you weren't a believer, you'd be sitting there not getting a... I mean, an unbeliever, you wouldn't be getting anything that I'm saying. Because it doesn't depend on that. That's why it's in the passive voice. Isn't that great? All we have to do is, is our positive... It's all about positive volition. We're here. You're learning. Just because you're filled with the Holy Spirit and the Word is powerful. It's sinking. It's... You know what it's doing? It's transforming us into the image of God's Son. And that doesn't happen overnight, does it? But that's, what, that's what's happening to us right now. Being transformed. Because every one of us has stinking thinking. And when, you don't, when, you don't, when you're not acting like an ambassador and you think, I don't, have to, I don't have to get instructions from the boss. I won't do it my way. Heck, I'm, I know what's going on. What happens? You start slipping. 
And that stinking thinking starts to just get right into you. The next thing you know, you're doing things that'll shock hell and you wonder, what happened? Well, you you just started slipping. You're not working, you're not walking in a manner worthy of the Lord. To please Him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and increase in knowledge of God. You see knowledge in that verse twice? See, that's what nobody puts any emphasis on hardly these days. Not in the spiritual realm. You cannot work, excuse me, you cannot walk worthily of God in ignorance. And you've got to be able to have enough doctrine to connect the dots and understand how to even start applying these spiritual principles to the reality of your life. And when you start doing that, you know what you're doing? Walking worthily of He who calls you. In other words, you're starting to act like an ambassador of the Most High. And you're getting out, you, you, you've canceled all your pity parties, and you're not out there trying to impress everyone, and you're not thinking only of yourself. You're actually thinking about the needs and desires and wants of other people. You're able to love people who don't love you. You're able to, you're able to do so much. It changes your entire life. But you've got to have the feeling of the Holy Spirit. You've got to have knowledge. And then you have to have a willingness to apply those things to your life. And that's what it's talking about when we see in this verse, where'd it go? Um, walking in a manner worthy of God. And you have to get up every day and put on that whole armor of God to do it. Every day. You can't take a vacation. I mean, you can take a vacation. I'm not saying I'm canceling all your vacation. You can take a vacation, but when you're on your vacation, you're not on a vacation. You know what I'm talking about? Where's Ken? Yeah, there's Ken. You, were there times when you were over, you were gone, what, two weeks? Two weeks. Were there times that you needed to use your doctrine? <laughs> Probably even more so. You're in a foreign country and different customs, different things. Verse 12 is really neat. It's a challenge to us. Are we going to walk worthily of the one who calls us? Let's look at this whole verse again. So you may walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you. And we hadn't got to this part. I wish we had time. I just keep on percolating, but we run, we've run out of time. Who calls you, look at this, into his own kingdom and glory. There is a kingdom coming. Jesus Christ is going to rule this earth. And the things that we do now, the things that we learn and apply now are going to determine what we're going to do in that kingdom. And glory. Look, He's called us to glory. He shares His kingdom and His glory with us. He's already made it, give us the high honor of being His ambassador. And the ones that understand that's what it's all about are the ones that are going to shine. You talk about light in that new kingdom that's coming. There's going to be some heroes. You're going to see them coming from a long way because they're going to be shining. 
And I hope that I'm looking at a lot of them. The choice is yours. Let's close. Father, we're so thankful for all the opportunities, all of the options that You have set before us. However, we are so weak. It's so easy for us to forget what this life is really about and not even care about being an ambassador of the Most High. So we pray that You will help us to have that foremost in our thinking every single day. That You will inspire us to continue to take in the Word, that knowledge we need, because none of us have even close to what we ought to have. But the part that we do have, we need to be ready to apply and just continue to depend upon Your grace and look forward to all those wonderful blessings that we have in eternity. Help us to think about those things. You command us to do so because those are the things that are lasting. And we pray this in Christ's most high and holy name. Amen.